Hello and welcome to the Creating Happy Writers podcast. I'm your host, Steph Caswell, and this is the first episode of 2024. So I hope you have had a marvellous, marvellous festive season and you are ready and raring for the year ahead. Or if you're like me, perhaps you are slowly crawling into 2024 and hoping not to overwhelm yourself in the first week. So whoever you are, whatever your feelings towards the new year, Uh, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. If you are a regular listener, thank you so much for continuing to listen. If you haven't yet left a review, I would absolutely love it if you could. So if you could do that on your favourite podcast provider, it would be much appreciated. If you would like some help this year with writing your book, head on over to stephcaswell.com and you will find my freebie, Five Ways to Plan a Best-Selling Book in Your Niche. And it will take you all through those initial planning stages. You can print it out, scribble all over it, and it's there for you to, to use to help you. If you want a little bit more advice uh, throughout the whole process of planning, writing and publishing a book, do check out Dare to Write. It is my latest book on how to write a book uh, and it's available on Amazon and on my website so look out for those links in the show notes so what are we covering today the very first episode of the year well do you know what I thought I thought I would use this opportunity to share with you some reflections and lessons I've learned from 10 years of writing because I wanted to inspire you as you move into 2024 with some ideas and tips and strategies to approach your writing in the year ahead. And I thought what a good time of year to be doing those sorts of bits of advice is at the start of the year when we're all feeling fresh faced sort of and ready to tackle whatever comes in the next few months. So some lessons for you from 10 years of writing. Before I begin, I just want to remind you that these lessons are lessons that have worked for me, things I've learned and used to help me. They're not the things you have to do. They're just suggestions, ideas, things to get you thinking. So as always, I'm not somebody who tells you that you have to do things in a certain way when it comes to your writing, because we're all creatively different, aren't we? We're all people that do things in a way that feel right for us, or we should be people who do things in the way that works for us. So what works for me might not work for you. But even if from these lessons, these 10 lessons, you can take one thing away to try, then I'll be a happy, happy lady. And I think it's important to start by saying also that I never saw myself as a writer. If you told me, you know, 10 years ago that I'd have written six books, nearly seven, actually, I've just ghostwritten one. If you told me I'd be writing that many books or writing books at all, I would have thought you'd maybe had a little too much gin. And actually writing was never something that I saw myself as doing for a living. Uh, When I was younger, I just I loved reading. I always have. But writing wasn't something that featured highly in my career uh, ideas. Uh, I don't really know when you're 18 whether you have many career ideas or whether you're just sort of winging it. Um, But maybe there are people out there who wing it less than I did. But I I winged it into teaching and then then my love of writing actually came through that, which is incredible, really. So I think what I want to start by saying is you you don't have to be 
born a writer, you don't have to think to yourself, I've, you know, oh, I've wanted to be a writer for years. And if it's something that slowly starts to, you know, creep up and, and talk to you in your head around, you know, actually, could you write a book? All those sorts of things. And that's perfectly normal. You don't have to have had aspirations to write for your whole life. That's for sure. What I do think is important, though, is practice. And before I go into my 10 lessons, I think it's important to say that I've only become better at writing by practicing. And, you know, that whole 10,000 hours rule, Malcolm Gladwell would be very proud of me talking about practice and purposeful practice, because that's what's important, isn't it? I think the 10,000 hours thing has been skewed so many ways and whether it's really actually accurate, who knows anymore? I don't. But I like to think that, as he pointed out, it's around purposeful meaningful practice when it comes to practicing any skill and the more you practice writing in your genre out of your genre just just writing in general the better you will become and you've probably noticed that when you're doing your social media captions or your email newsletter or blog posts as over time you you realize that you've got better at them and it's no different when it comes to writing a book the more you practice writing chapters the better they will become so let me just yeah start by saying that I'm not a born writer I'm someone who's just practiced a hell of a lot and uh, and I enjoy it and I think that's the main thing so here you go here are my 10 lessons for you to start your 2024 on the right foot. So the first one is consistency is key. Now, I know that for some people, the thought of writing is something where you imagine you have to spend hours a day, months away from your business, writing your book and spending loads and loads of time on it every day. Some people might think they have to take themselves away to write, to go somewhere that's a cottage or, you know, abroad somewhere sunny and warm to be able to focus. And for some people that works. Of course it does. But actually for the majority of us, we just need to squeeze writing in to our day whenever we can. And I'm a big advocate of 30 minutes a day. I think that if you can sit down before you do anything else, do 30 minutes of writing, your book will come together so much quicker than you can possibly imagine. And that is why I use that strategy myself. I'm a business owner. I do writing for other people. I don't have time every day to devote to writing my books. And as much as I would love to be able to do that, the future and if you heard my re- yearly reflections episode uh, from the end of last year you'll know that that is my goal is to write full-time but until I get there I have to squeeze my writing in where I can and by doing 30 minutes a day I'm committing to writing but I'm not letting it overwhelm me and take over from all the other things I have to do to run my business. If you've not read Darren Hardy's book, The Compound Effect, it's a great read. It's short, it's sweet, but it explains the idea of this little and often approach and why it works. And I always reread it every year because I just love the fact that it just reiterates to me the importance of little and often. But as you know, James Clear talks about it in Atomic Habits. And, you know, it's not something that is now as new as it was. But I do think for writing, little consistent habits really do pay off in the long run. Lesson number two, follow your gut. The reason I say this is because often people feel that they have to write a book uh, because people said they should. And it's a surefire way of making it a miserable experience. So first and foremost, follow your gut. Is writing a book what you actually want to do? Or is it more starting a podcast or a YouTube channel or nothing at all? You know, you don't feel that you should write a book because people say you should. And it's flattering and wonderful when people compliment you. But actually, is it something you want to do? 
If it is, great, but follow your gut in terms of what goes in that book. If you're traditionally publishing, this could be a little bit trickier, but if you're self-publishing, the autonomy is, is there. You have the right to put in whatever you want to put in. And if you're working with an editor, hopefully you'll come to a compromise around how that might sound, but it really is all up to you. And so go with your gut, write what you want to write. Don't write what you think you should write and don't write in a way that doesn't maybe reflect who you really are. Lesson number three, invite your inner critic along for the ride. Elizabeth Gilbert is a fantastic author. And if you haven't read Big Magic, I suggest that that is one of the books you read first in 2024. It is so brilliant. And I heard Elizabeth talking about the inner critic on a podcast and she talked about how we need to embrace the fact that the inner critic isn't going anywhere. It's going to be part of our journey when we're writing or being creative or just in general because the inner critic likes to just pop its head up at any available opportunity. But instead of trying to resist it, she talks about allowing it into the passenger seat but it's not allowed to tell you how to drive. So it's about embracing the fact that it's going to be there, probably on your shoulder, and maybe occasionally it becomes too loud and you have to remind it that it's not dictating the direction of the journey and it can't comment on your driving. But I think what's important to remember about the inner critic is it's actually more about you self-preserving, self-preservation. You're trying to avoid pain and discomfort and your inner critic is there to sort of stop you doing things that push you out of your comfort zone. But if you can just know that it's going to be there, if you can embrace it and realise it's not going to go anywhere just because you want it to, you will find it's quieter than maybe it has been for a long time. So do embrace the inner critic and reassure it that you're okay. Because when you do that, it will quieten down and you can just call it out for doing what it's doing, which is trying to protect you from taking risk. But actually, you don't need it. You don't need it there telling you that. You've got to take these risks in order to move forward, in order to accomplish the things that you want, in order to write that book that you've been absolutely dying to write. Writing lesson number four. Celebrate your small wins. Often we feel like we have to wait until we've done the big thing. We've published the book. We've launched the book. And actually, I think while those things are magical and wonderful and things definitely to celebrate, we can often forget the small stuff that happens along the way. The chapter we finished, the bit that we planned, the section we wrote when we really didn't feel like it. Maybe the story we had to tell that was uncomfortable and difficult for us and made us feel vulnerable. All of these things are things to celebrate and how you choose to celebrate is up to you. BJ Fogg in his book Tiny Habits talks about how important celebration is when you're trying to create a new habit. So if you are trying to do something like a regular writing habit, celebrating every time you complete it is actually a really important part of the writing process of the habits process. It keeps you motivated. It's something that if you're not doing it, try it. Try looking for those small wins that you do, even if it's daily. And how I do this is by sharing my word count. And 
I share it on social media, but I also keep a spreadsheet, which I'm going to come on to in a little while. And the reason I share it on social media is because I like people to follow my journey. But I also know that people enjoy looking at it because people tell me in the DMs and when I see them how much they love seeing my word count increase and how motivating they find it to try and do their own word counts. And so as much as I'm not doing it for other people to to tell me how brilliant it is, I'm doing it to inspire myself. Those sorts of small wins, those small sorts of celebrations are really important. Now, again, you celebrate how you want to celebrate. I get to various milestones and I find milestone rewards really helpful. So an example of a milestone reward is getting to 10,000 words, 20,000 words and on and on into the tens of thousands of words. And when you're halfway through, all of those are milestones. And I like to reward myself sometimes with going to the coffee shop and having my favorite coffee and a slice of cake. Or I take a day off writing as another way to celebrate and give myself a bit of a brain break. Or I just, you know, go and tell my husband and, and he gives me a nice hug. Whatever it is, celebrate the milestones, celebrate the small things because they really do help you keep going when times feel tough with writing, which they often do. Lesson number five, and this is something that I've just mentioned, which is logging your word count on a spreadsheet. Now, you might not want to log it on a spreadsheet. You might want to log it on a piece of paper, in a notebook. You might just want to stick it up on post-it notes. However you do it, I do guarantee that doing it, having your word count somewhere where you can see it going up and up and up is probably, I would say, the thing that motivates me the most with my writing. And as some of you know, if you've listened to the last podcast from 2023, you'll know I'm writing A Cozy Crime and it is long. It has to be about 80,000 words and at this present moment, I'm about 25,000 words in. So I know that I've got a heck of a journey ahead of me when it comes to, to writing the rest of it. So I keep a log just so that I can see those numbers going up and heading closer and closer to 80,000. Otherwise, I feel as though I wouldn't be noticing and motivating myself in the same way without it. So if this helps you, try it. If you're somebody who you know enjoys those sorts of things and enjoys seeing little rewards and little moments of joy when it comes to your word count, then try logging it on a spreadsheet or in a notebook or even just share it on social media. Whatever you want to do, give it a try, even if you just for a week and uh, let me know how you get on. Writing lesson number six is probably the lesson that I feel is most important to first drafters. And this is never edit when you write. Now, I have shared this with so many people and it's so important because when we're being creative, we are in a different mindset. We're in flow and we're trying to just get the words on the page. If during that process of getting the words on the page, you keep editing as you go, it will stifle your progress and your enthusiasm. I only realised this from trying to write my first book, Keeping Bums in Seats, and realising that I had done about five attempts at the book and I was still only a couple of chapters in. And I couldn't understand what on earth was happening and why I couldn't make progress. And then I was listening to somebody, and I don't know who it was, talking about the fact that they never read back their first draft until it's finished. They just keep going. And it was a revelation. I couldn't believe that I hadn't thought of this myself. And... I decided from that day forward that was what I was going to do and I just wrote and wrote and wrote and even though as I was writing I knew that what I was writing wasn't good enough 
I gave myself permission to just carry on regardless, knowing that I could come back and make those edits at a later point. So I urge you, if you are writing and editing at the same time, please stop. Free yourself from the shackles of editing while you're trying to be creative. And I don't know whether it's true, but around the two sides of the brain is you know, one side is for being creative and then you've got the logical side, which is more for editing. And I like to think that I have to let my creative brain do the work for the first draft and then the second half goes into editing mode, analytical mode and sharpens it. And I like to think of it as a lump of clay. And you may have heard me say this before, but it's so important to remember your first draft is the lump of clay that is thrown on a potter's wheel. And it's only through shaping and molding and glazing and, you know, making that pot, that piece of clay into a pot that's really beautiful or a cup or whatever it might be that you get the finished product. So think of it like that. Think of first draft as a lump of clay and then think of editing as the shaping and the molding and the perfecting and making something beautiful. And only then will you free yourself, as I say, from those shackles of editing that are just not serving you in that first draft mode. Lesson seven is a short one. Avoid comparing your first draft to the books in the shops. This is hard if you're an avid reader as I am, because if you're reading while you're writing, you will often feel this sense of imposter syndrome of that your book isn't good enough because it doesn't sound like the books that you read in the bookshops. And this is sorts of leads on really from the last point around not editing while you're writing. Every author, even your most favorite, even the ones in the bookshops that look and sound brilliant and beautiful will have all been a first draft at some point and the authors of them will have hated their first drafts as much as you may be hating yours. So please remember, so please remember, don't compare a final draft to a first draft. If you're doing it, stop yourself, remind yourself that the author in question has also had a shitty first draft and they've just been through a gazillion rounds of editing to make it sound like it sounds now. And then that will hopefully stop you comparing yourself and give you the oomph you need to continue. Writing lesson number eight, be unashamedly you. What do I mean by this? It comes down to tone of voice. Quite often we try to sound like our favourite authors because we love their tone of voice, we love how they engaged with us, how they connected with us on a reader-writer, you know, in that relationship. But what can happen is we try to sound so much like our favourite authors that we actually lose sight of sounding like us. And when we do that, it's really jarring for the reader because if they know you as somebody maybe they've worked with or they've followed on social media or you know they've heard you speak and they, they've heard your tone of voice in the day-to-day -day, and then they read your book and it sounds nothing like you, it's very, very jarring and it's very confusing for people. And in the same way, if they read your book and then decide they want to come and work with you and they've read a book where you sound one way and then they work with you and maybe you sound differently, your tone of voice is different, your manner's different, everything about your personality is different, it's going to be a little bit alarming. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I'm a big advocate for you know, language that you use. I'm a swearer, I swear. And I put that in my tone of voice. And sometimes people will be like, oh my gosh, you swear a lot in your books. And I think, yeah, I do, because I swear a lot in real life. So I, I'm not going to try to be somebody totally different. Obviously, I will rein it in and be professional to a degree in my books. But actually, if somebody reads my book and then comes to work with me, and I'm 
I've got the same tone of voice, I'm the same, it's not as confusing for them. Whereas if I don't swear in my books and then we're on a coaching call and all of a sudden I drop, you know, I say shit or bollocks or something, they might be like, oh, you know, I'm not aware of this side of you. So it's just about trying to sound like you as much as you can. It makes writing the book so much easier and so much more fun because you're just free to be whoever you are. Number nine, find a support crew. And when I say this, they don't have to be the size of the Kardashians makeup team either. Just have a few people that you can rely on, lean on during the writing process to encourage you, to spur you on, to motivate you, to be kind to you, maybe when you're being very critical of yourself, which can often happen during the writing process. You need people on your team to help you, to G you along. And I've done a podcast episode about your writing support network uh, quite early on, actually, in season one. And I think it's really important because it's a lonely job being a writer. So if you can have people on your side to help you through it, you will find the process far easier. You don't have to join a writing group if that doesn't float your boat. It's just about having people around you who can support you and love you and care for you during this process. And, you know, maybe they you need somebody, as I always say, who's the bit of the bum kicker that doesn't allow you to wallow too much in self-pity. They just give you the harsh truth sometimes, like get your ass in the chair, love. <laughs> That's what you need to here. You also need somebody who will be, you know, sympathetic and kind. And when you just say, I'm a terrible writer, you've got somebody there who's saying, right, you know, where's the evidence for this? No, you're not. It's just part of the process, etc. So find your support crew. You will be so glad you did. Lesson number 10. And I think if not the most important lesson, one of the very, very high up lessons that I'm going to share with you. And that is read, 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 read. If you want to be a better writer, you have to read widely. You need to read in your genre. You need to read out of your genre. You need to read fiction, poetry, articles, whatever it is, just really absorb language, absorb how people structure things. And it's only by doing that that you're able to start seeing your book for what it needs to be. And the re one of the reasons I feel like I am quite a helpful developmental editor, or I like to think I am, is because I read widely. Yes, I write my books, so I understand structure, but I also read a heck of a lot of books. I read about 50 books a year, and they are a mix of fiction and of non-fiction, but they help me just understand playful language, they how to understand structure, particularly if there's a book that's structured in a really different way that I'd never considered before. It just helps open your mind to the possibilities. And again, if you're self-publishing, you can structure your book in a way that works for you. I would caveat that with, you need to structure it in a way that helps your reader. But you have the license to play around with structure and to do it in a way that maybe feels really good to you. But you will only know that by reading widely. So do read, enjoy what you read. And actually, you will find there are books that are terrible that are also helpful because then you know what you don't want your book to sound like. And it's just, it's opinion, isn't it? All books, are, you know, that that's the thing. We all like different things. You might like something, your friend might absolutely hate it. That's just the nature of, of art, of, you know, the things that we consume. So just read what you can as often as you can. Again, you know, try those little habits over breakfast, 10 minutes of reading a day and you'll be surprised how many books you get through, but also how much you learn.
Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed those 10 lessons. It was really great for me to put them together. I made them a blog post a little while ago and a social media post and they really resonated with people. And I thought, what a great way to start the year by hoping to give you some really structured advice and guidance on how you could approach writing over the next few months and years, because it's really important to keep these things going. And like I said, not all of them will work for you. And that's cool. You just do whatever you want to try. If there was something in here that you think, do you know what, I'm going to give that a go, I would be so happy. So do let me know if you try any of them. Do let me know if any of them resonated with you. And, you know, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on your favourite podcast provider. Or if you've got another writer friend who you think might find this helpful, do forward it on to them and let them listen to it too. And hopefully they'll come away feeling inspired uh, for their 2024 writing journey. Until next time, though, happy writing.